the Canucks welcome Alex Ovechkin and the Washington Capitals to town for a big one at Rogers Arena tonight. It is the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. Friday edition of the show, I'm Jamie Dodd, joined as always by my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Drance, who also does a great job covering the team for the Athletic. Ooh, hiss. <laughs> <laughs> you're getting ahead of it. Let's you're like, go. You're like Gary Bettman now. <laughs> Putting your ear up to the crowd. Yeah. Uh, Canucks that were brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. AvenueMachinery.ca. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Get your thoughts, questions, whatever is on your mind about the Canucks in. Uh, we'll try to get to as many as we can throughout the course of the show. Just watching the uh, Washington Capitals wrap up their game day skate here at Rogers Arena, Drancer. Lots going on today. Uh, the Canucks made a signing, or an interesting signing, that we'll touch on and discuss a little bit here in just a few minutes. But all of a sudden, this game against the Washington Capitals, in large part because of what the Canucks have been doing in their own games recently, but also because of what's going on around them in the Pacific Division, this feels like a really big, dare I say, meaningful game here on uh, March 11th at Rogers Arena coming up tonight. It is absolutely a meaningful game in March for the Canucks. We've made it. They've made it. I didn't think that would happen. I didn't think that would happen, right? Here's the thing about playing heel in this marketplace, right? There's some people who do it for effect, right? Right. And there's me who looks at data and then derives my opinion, and it just so happens that people don't like it. Um. So when the data changes, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna double down and be like, yeah, whatever. No, this is a really fascinating weekend for the Canucks. Huge. They have an opportunity here. They have an opportunity that I at no point expected them to have. At no point have I believed in this team, even getting to this point, right? And so a couple things that need to be said right off the bat from that. One is Bruce Boudreau, incredible. Fixed a ton of stuff here. His impact on this roster, the impact of the coaching change, significantly exceeded not just my expectations, although that's clearly true, but any reasonable expectation, surely, of what of what this roster could accomplish. With tonight's game, right, this Capitals team, for me, is the toughest matchup that the Canucks have on this homestand because the two teams that they face that are better are going to be rolling into Rogers Arena on the second game of back-to-back. So those are schedule losses, downgrade them a bit. The Caps are still a good team. I don't think they're a contending team, but they're still a good team. But they're a good team that the Canucks match up well with, right? Like, yeah. the Canucks always have played the Caps hard with, with sort of the fact of the matter being that the Caps are a big bruising team, and big bruising teams don't tend to have as much success against the Canucks as teams that can consistently get in behind Vancouver's somewhat plotting defense core. So this is a huge opportunity against a team that the Canucks historically match up pretty well with. And while this is playing out, the Vegas Golden Knights will be playing the second game of a back-to-back, a schedule loss in Pittsburgh, a team that's really good. A really, really good team. Really good team. They're going to have their third-string goalie in net. And, man, Vegas... Through a, a myriad of, of injuries, the Leonard injury really compounding it, are not playing well, right? And and look, we expect the Golden Knights to struggle to finish sometimes, but they're also not controlling play the way we're used to. Like, this is not the Vegas team we're used to. And that leaves the door open, particularly because the Canucks have a game in hand and three head-to-head matchups against them. Um, you know, that third 
spot in the Pacific, which we mentioned earlier this week, you know, I thought was sort of pulling away from the Canucks because of the Kings cementing themselves pretty safely into the playoff race. I mean, they're going to make the playoffs. They could go sub 500 and probably make the playoffs at, at this point. They have such a lead. But where Vegas is at, you know, if Vegas goes something like 500 the rest of the way, Canucks only need to win something like 16 games to pass them. And that's even with Vegas having that RW, that that tiebreaker. So a pretty incredible turn of events. And then you throw in Miro Heskin and has mononucleosis. You throw in um, the, the possibility, although remote, that a team like Nashville could sell, that Dallas could sell. And boy, you're, you're beginning to have what looks like um, a plot that you can begin to see and, and that, you know, I'm going to begin to not make fun of <laughs> um, as somewhat realistic. And, and, you know, that's incredible. That's an incredible accomplishment, especially for this coaching staff, particularly considering what they inherited. But, of course, for these players, too. And there's a lot of good players on this roster, players that I, I do believe in highly and consistently. But to have it come together like this to find a way to play with that heavy forecheck that helps disguise some of the flaws on the back end. Um, you know, there's been some pretty impressive problem solving here. They deserve a ton of credit. They've given themselves a shot that no longer deserves derision, in my view. No. And, oh, I have to mention, by the way, since I always have to mention Dom Lecision, yes. playoff odds, up to 23%, but also there was a ghost in the machine, an error in an input that had only lasted for two weeks or so. So uh, a recent error that had sort of docked the Canucks a percentage point or so. Because we bring it up almost every day, I just want to make sure that everyone is aware that, that some of the numbers we've been sharing over the course of the past 10 days were a percentage point too low. Uh, and now, th now that's fixed. So along with the Golden Knights coughing it up, um, and, and the Oilers have been in tailspin too. Yes. Right? I mean, it's not just what Boudreaux's accomplished. There's like this other side of this, which is that a lot of things around the league are shaping up favorably for the Canucks, the, the type of luck that they certainly didn't have early in the season. And uh, Plazzi from the Loops texts in, uh, Vegas seems like a team we can pass. Leonard is hurt. Uh, I, he also says, I got a second for him in my keeper pool right before we went on IR. I Nicely hope we done. can keep rolling. Yeah, there you go. Uh, scoreboard watching every night now, and it really is that season now, all of a sudden, Drancer. You know, you talked about you know, Vegas loses that game in Buffalo last night. You might have heard one or two things about that one in the lead-up. As you said, an extremely difficult matchup on the road, second half of a back-to-back -back against a very, very good Pittsburgh Penguins team while the Golden Knights are dealing with a ton of injuries. And you just look at that. So they're playing tonight. Obviously, the Canucks hosting the Capitals tonight. If the results go in the Canucks' way, all of a sudden they could be, after tonight, they could be two points behind Vegas plus the tiebreaker. And with the game in hand, though, and still on Vegas. Right yep. now, plus the tiebreaker is, is it's important they, to keep in mind they, when we're starting to get into these margins. And they wouldn't pass Edmonton. No, they wouldn't because, pass Edmonton. Because, again, because of the tiebreaker. And just looking at, we had this question uh, come in from Greg McKinnon on Twitter just before the show. And he says, uh, hey, hey, Thomas and Jamie, if the Canucks were to make the playoffs, what's the most likely scenario to get in? Uh, one, they make the playoffs in third in the Pacific over Edmonton and Vegas. Or two, they take the first or second wildcard spot over Dallas or Nashville. And I think, I don't know, a week, 10 days ago, I probably would have said they were really chasing the wildcard spots. The way things have shaped up since then, to me, it is clearly third in the Pacific. That is the most likely avenue for this team to make the playoffs, right? And it has to do with the way Vegas is struggling right now. It has to do with what the way Edmonton is struggling right now. All of a sudden, that gap has become 
much, much more realistic for the Canucks to close. And just to zero in on Vegas, we'll, we'll get to the matchup with uh, with Washington here in, in a few minutes, but just kind of looking at this playoff race. You know, Vegas has kind of been scuffling for a while now. It's gotten worse recently, but since the new year in 2022 – you know, they have the worst shooting percentage in the league at 5-on-5. Five five. And normally you would look at that and say, oh, okay, well, that's a bad run of luck. That's the type of thing that's going to regress. And it probably will regress a little bit, but Vegas is also historically a very bad shooting Vegas team. Vegas always struggles They to always struggle to finish. They always control play really well, and they always struggle to finish. So when you look at it in that lens, you know, I would still bet on the talent of Vegas figuring it out, especially as they get a little healthier. But there are real issues there. There are real issues with the Vegas Golden Knights that I did not anticipate seeing earlier in the season. No, uh, and the rush of injuries has really submarined their structural integrity because in addition to struggling to score the puck, they're also not controlling play the way they usually have, at at least over a smaller sample of late. So they're trending in the wrong direction. Meanwhile, the Canucks, who were winning all these games earlier after the All-Star break, like the early part of the All-Star break when they were still, uh, still picking up points, but they were doing it while their five-on-five game atrophied significantly. They've arrested that tailspin. And, like, for me, in terms of controlling play five-on-five, looked at as a whole, their last five games have probably been some of their best of the season. They're still giving up too much for me. Uh, It still makes me pretty nervous, particularly because Vancouver's goaltending has not been the reason that they're winning. Like, I don't know that you can count on um, the, the level of human force field goaltending that the Canucks have over the course of the season. And and if that's true, I don't think you want to be surrendering some of those odd man things, but teams are really struggling to break Vancouver's forecheck right now. Vancouver's like, um, like a Gergen pressing team or a, or a heavy blitz team, you know, like teams are struggling to contain Vancouver's pressure game. They're struggling to break out against it. And that's, you know, a fascinating development because it gives the Canucks some sense of purpose and it's given them some sense of control five on five that it's been very rare for this team to have since yeah, you have to go back a decade. Yeah. Well, it's it's that one of those uh, kind of cliched buzzwords, but it gives them a sense of identity. Right. Mm-hmm. What is this team beyond relying on Thatcher Demko? Bro, now you're starting to be able to point to that four check as part of their identity, as the thing that they're going to lean on to help them get results game after game after game, which, as you said, they haven't necessarily had for long stretches of this year. I just want to touch on the Edmonton situation really quickly as well here. So Edmonton doesn't play tonight, uh, but they host the Tampa Bay Lightning tomorrow. Now that game is fascinating for a number of reasons from a Canucks perspective. Okay, Tampa, we all know they're the back-to-back defending Stanley Cup champions, an extremely accomplished, dangerous, talented group, also a veteran and professional group. Tampa has lost the first two games of the, this Western Canadian road trip that they're on. They actually started the road trip in Chicago, which Do, they won. Doing the Canucks no favors. but Because, you know what, Winnipeg is another team. Playoff odds are low. But they're there. But they're, they're, they're hanging around. They're hanging around, and they've got, at the end of the day, they've got Hellebuck. And you never want to count that out. Plus, they've gotten healthy. Now they have Ehlers back. It's probably too late for them, but that's not, they're, they're, Unlike the Ducks, who I'm writing off, I'm not quite writing off the Winnipeg Jets yet. So Tampa lost to Winnipeg 7-4 on Tuesday, lost to Calgary 4-1 on Thursday. They play Edmonton tomorrow. I would figure Tampa is going to come out giving maximum effort in that game. You've lost by three goals twice already on this road trip. That's a big game on a Saturday night against Connor McDavid, against Leon Dreisaitl. Again, Tampa is a very proud, accomplished veteran team. 
you expect a major, major effort from them in that game. You would expect to see Andre Vasilevsky get the start in that game as well against Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. So I'm not chalking it up as a Tampa Bay Lightning win, obviously, but I like their chances. I like their chances in that one the Canucks would be against Edmonton. Very unlucky to have to face Andre Vasilevsky. Meanwhile, the Golden Knights have Columbus on Sunday. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's it's look, it's going to be very hard, right? The chances remain... Less likely than likely. But with the way this team is playing, with the way they keep defying the odds. Uh, you know what? What I love about this team right now, well, don't love. <laughs> but it's amazing how they find answers when things, like, you know, JT Miller's been saying a lot. We're, we're struggling to get set up on the power play, but when we get it set up, we're looking good. And that's reflected, right? The, the yes. power play, underlying profile of the power play gave me serious pause right before the all-star break and when i look through it like over the stretch post all-star break they're 31 percent conversion rate number one in the league but their bottom three by shot attempt differential which tells you that they're not spending as much time set up as as an elite power play typically does and it, and they're also bottom 10 in shot rate which means they're not really pe- but they're making their shots um the moment their goaltending went in the tank they've and and they've been sub 900 five on five since um for the last 13 games. They've won nine of those 13 games. So this is not just the goalie, right? The uh, the moment that happened, they became the first uh, the first in the NHL by shooting percentage. So their shooters have now um, done Demko the solid he earned earlier in the season and picked him up. Um, you know, maybe this team should should consider trading JT Miller. Well, JT Miller's now on pace for a million points. An all-time <laughs> heater from JT Miller in response to that. I, I mean, it's just incredible. They Now, you hope... You hope that the inverse side of that, that the roller coaster doesn't go back down, right? And and this team is a roller coaster team at this it is. point. I think we can say this is a roller coaster season. is a heck of a ride. And one hopes that, you know, their ability to defy the odds doesn't now um, sort of run counter to our expectations now that people are eyeing this and saying, hey, hey, there's something here. And I think we're starting to see – more what we expected to see from this team going into the season, both in terms of, okay, being a team at least in the fight for a playoff spot, but also just in terms of that that kind of roller coaster identity, right? Because one of the shocking things to begin the season when Travis Green was still here, it wasn't just the results going so poorly. To me, it was also that they looked so flat and lifeless offensively, which I never expected to be no, the case with this team, right? And the the theory of this team was always, look, they might not be a dominant play-driving five-on-five team, but they have Thatcher Demko, and they have a group of elite finishers, elite game-breaking forwards, plus Quinn Hughes, who can kind of tilt the percentages in their favor. And early in the season, the Thatcher Demko part of that showed up, but the other part just absolutely didn't. Now we are seeing, you know, JT Miller, Elias Pettersson, Brock Besser, Bo Horvat had a, had that goal against the Flames. Like, we're seeing those guys make those types of game-breaking moments that are, you know, the, the Canucks count on that. The Canucks need those more than a lot of other teams to, to c- keep them uh, consistently winning games and it just does feel like okay this is more the version right that we have that Jodemko and we have this elite group of forwards therefore we can possibly outscore uh, some of our problems driving play some of our problems on the back end now right. that's not necessarily going to con- that's not going to be consistent over a 40 game span but I think that accounts for a lot of the roller coaster dynamic we've been seeing from this team over the last couple of months yeah I think you're right and uh and you know we'll see the, the problem is is that a roller coaster ride to the finish sounds fun, but it probably doesn't get it done, right? They, at this point, need to be climbing constantly. This needs to be 
more like um more like a ski lift <laughs> than right than a roller coaster of, yeah it's got to be the up coaster. the up part of the roller coaster yeah, you, if you, if you get, <laughs> and then just stop right at the top if there if you think you're getting on a ski lift and you end up on a roller coaster <laughs> you're having a bad time right that, that's where the canucks are at and so it's going to be a fascinating test here they they have a real opportunity and i think tonight's a big one because that game against tampa i mean you would have to be extremely unlucky. Like, you would have to have Cooper make the decision, right, that his best chance of winning both games is to play a fresh team and a backup goalie against McDavid. Yes. And then play a great goalie and a tired team against Vancouver. Yes. That, that's the decision. That's the only decision that results in the Vancouver Canucks playing Vasilevsky. Possible, but I'd, I'd, I'd handicap it at 25%. And it's- you just take your best shot. In your in your first game, all out, and then hope you can grind out another point and, or and, two in the second game. And Tampa's schedule—I don't know what the good version of a double-edged sword, but it's a double—it's the good version of a double-edged sword for the Canucks, right? Because you like their chances to beat Edmonton, which helps the Canucks, and well, then they're going to be tired on a back-to-back sorry, on Sunday uh, against the Canucks. A double-edged sword is good. It's just one side of it's good, Jamie. There's no good and bad version. It's a good. That's fair. And it That's is fair. a good and bad version. That's fair. So whatever <laughs> you know, you know what I'm trying to say. You know what I'm trying to say, though, right? It, it, it's. It's good for the Canucks in two respects, I guess. I don't know. That's not a, that's not that's not quite as pithy a, as I was going a, for. It's a three pronged trident. There you go. There you go. It could help the Canucks out. Yeah, it'll uh, be in useful. a couple of different. It'll ways. be useful for them for the anchorman battle that they're that's locked right. into in the in the Western Conference. And and look, you know th- this is this is going to be great. Like it feels like tonight should be a carnival atmosphere. One hopes, right? It's been a long two years. Tomorrow is the two-year anniversary, right, of the day that the Canucks landed in Arizona and everything got squirrely. And since then, it's been a pretty miserable stretch for this franchise, with the exception, of course, of the bubble. But last season, the the fall, um, you know, the way that the arena has been half full or not full at all, completely empty, um, you know, Hopefully, hopefully on the on the back end, you know, it's a Friday night. Yep. This is a big game. There's a chance for some history. There's some extra heat around the Capitals, of course, and, and Ovechkin. Uh, hopefully tonight is a, is a carnival atmosphere. No masks. Uh, the Canucks announced that there's a no mask. The mask mandate has been lifted at both Rogers Arena and the Abbotsford Center. Like, tonight should feel pretty normal, pretty fun. Hopefully it has vibes like the second half of that Columbus game. Which was really the last time that I can remember being at Rogers Arena and being like, "Oh boy, what a what an the environment. roof's gonna pop off here." Yeah, what an environment. Um, the the Rangers game was the other one where you had the Demko, the trio of Demko saves, and then uh, Miller winning it in OT. Yep. Yeah, that was incredible. So hopefully, we, hopefully we get that atmosphere and and something more like that than what the Habs game. The Habs game felt a little uh, Rogers Library esque. I, I hope that I hope that this atmosphere tonight in this game delivers because. As a city, let's be real. We deserve this. Well, and I think that's just big down the stretch, right? Like, tonight it's big because there's all these other things happening around the team, and Ovechkin is here, and you and you want to kind of take advantage of Vegas continuing to scuffle and Edmonton continuing to scuffle. But I, I do just honestly, as you said, the city deserves it. I hope they play more of these games down the stretch so that people can feel that investment and feel that passion back at the rink all of a sudden. And and I, I think that's important from – probably the new front office's perspective, certainly from ownership's perspective, right, as they continue to kind of rebuild the trust between this franchise and the fan base, which was so damaged uh, under the Jim Benning era. And, you know, we're getting texts in saying, 
look, this one's from Henry, right? If the Canucks managed to squeak in as a wild card in the playoffs, would we be able to beat a Calgary or a Colorado? Wouldn't it make sense to get a better draft pick? Now, I will say, as we were saying, probably the most likely path to the playoffs. And first of all, we're getting very sorry, ahead sorry, of Sorry, sorry, I just want to say the answer is yes to that. Yes. Like, like, and that's why, and that's why all season I've been like, you know, pretty focused on on what this team should do to turn around. Um, because I think that's your best bet long term. Like I think your best bet long term might have been to sell a couple months ago. But but now you're in it. Yeah. Now you're in it, and that does have to change their thinking. Now it's going to be really interesting because this all dovetails with the fact that we're ten days out from the NHL trade deadline. Right. Uh, we will be sitting here. 10, well, maybe not exactly here, but we will be sitting around a studio 10 days from now, on air probably, yep. uh, breaking down what's happened and what the Canucks have done. And so, you know, in this club's long-term best interest, is this the team that's going to win? No, I don't think so. Is this the type of run and the type of form that is likely to be sustained year over year, or is this more likely to be one of those they played a great stretch of games and then the next year they, they can't follow up on it? I mean, I you know, I'm not betting against Bruce Boudreaux anymore. I'm done with that. <laughs> I'm done betting against Boudreaux. But, you know, there's a decent possibility that the, the run the Canucks are on is it more closely approximates something like um, what we saw from the Habs in the playoffs last year as opposed to, you know, something like, um, what I think we're seeing from the Kings this year, which is the start uh, of a team being, you know, the start of a rise. So, yeah, I, I do think that this club's best interests remain keeping their eyes down the line. And I think that Canucks management, I don't think, Canucks management remains laser-focused on that. Had a report from Nick Kiprios that moving out term and money remains a priority. Yep. He linked Tyler Myers, uh, you know, to, to a possible as a possible trade chip ahead of the day, deadline. Um, I'd be surprised by that but I don't think you can ignore the fact that the Canucks are going to proceed here with their eyes trained on cap flexibility and carving that out finding a way to create some of the avenues that they need to improve I I think their thinking on that is is actually pretty closely aligned with a lot of what I've been espousing but I wonder how this could impact the Tyler Mott situation right so Tyler Mott and the Canucks you know I would say have, had not had substantive talks as of, you know, 10 days ago. And I still think it's probably fair to say that that's the case, but they certainly have an understanding of where the other one's at in terms of their outlook. I do think the Canucks' run of success here hasn't necessarily changed the focus of Canucks management. I still don't think we're going to see this. Well, sorry, we're not going to see this team buy. For sure, we're not going to see this team make a make a a buy type move to bolster their group for the playoff run. But I don't think the Mott equation. And for for a long time, I've thought he was the most likely Canuck to move. He's either going to move or be extended. By the way, I still think they should play it that way. But I think internally there has been a little bit of a, a shift there, where you know, well, and maybe it's not right to call it a shift, but I do think the club's performance has made that less absolute. I still think there's a chance, if the if the return is right, that, that they would sell despite the team's run of success, even if they win tonight, even if they win a couple games next week, even if they crush this road trip. I still think there's a chance they'd sell if the return is right. But on a player like Tyler Mott, I do think there's an increasing chance that he could be an own rental. You know, you're not going to go out and buy, but you're not necessarily going to go sell X bottom six forward who's on an expiring for a mid-round pick, right? So... There is a, a little bit 
uh, of wiggle, I think, there. I do think that the dynamic has changed as a result of the club's performance, but I do still think this team's focus is, is down the down the road on cap flexibility, on the future, and it has to be. And And to be honest with you, I think it has to be even – like, I think it should be even more dramatic than the extent that it was. But, hey, I've thought that for months, and <laughs> some of those takes haven't aged that well. So take that with and, uh, the salt you need. And here's the thing. We've made this point a few times on the show, Drancer. Because of the contract status of some of the Canucks' potential major trading chips, right, which is to say that they are not pending UFAs this year, this is not necessarily a make-or-break trade deadline for the Canucks in terms of reshaping the direction of the franchise and making some big, bold moves that really change the situation going forward, right? They, it is not the situation where you are staring down, okay, hey, do we want to make this miracle run for the playoffs, but that means not trading a couple of really high-profile UFAs, right? And I think because of that, because they're going to have the chance to do things after this season as well, it almost gives new management and Rutherford and Alvin the, kind, the chance to kind of have their cake and eat it too, right? Like they can – Say, hey, we're getting, we're giving this G- this team and Bruce Boudreau every chance to make the playoffs, while also knowing that no matter what happens, they have a chance to make some of those bold moves come the offseason. Well, and and don't ignore the fact that they did have time, right? Like the the big pieces are on deals that uh, permit the team to retain control beyond this deadline into this summer, right? And additionally, if you're going to make more significant changes, having an opportunity to see how these players perform how they rise to the challenge once the pressure rises now granted relative to Edmonton where jobs are on the line in fact jobs have already been lost because of their scuffle in the second half and Vegas unthinkable for Vegas to miss the playoffs right yeah um this is a snow day for the Canucks this is Sally Field like oh you like me you really like me this is you know a totally um this is all bonus this is all bonus. This is house money. House money, baby, uh, for the Canucks. Whereas some of the teams they're chasing, especially in the Pacific, it's tight collar time, right? But nonetheless, for Rutherford and company, as you make a decision and some probably pretty crucial decisions, you know, with a 12 to 18 month horizon, having a chance to evaluate some of these players come, you know, <laughs> come. Uh, not playoff time, but that pre-playoff race time, and maybe into the playoffs, actually does sort of give you some value, give you some certainty, give you a chance to test and see who you need, right? Who you need from that rises to the occasion standpoint versus, you know, who you can maybe jettison and keep building. And one of the things we've heard, first of all, your point about the pressure in Edmonton and Vegas is spot on because if you were, if you had at the beginning of the season made kind of a list of which franchises can absolutely not afford to miss the playoffs, which will suffer the most consequences internally if they do miss the playoffs, Vegas and Edmonton would have been right near the top of that list. And in both markets, if the the worst-case scenario comes to fruition and they don't find themselves in, it's going to be just devastating for those franchises. So that's a completely different scenario than the Canucks are in, and I do think that plays... Uh, a big role down the stretch. The other thing, as you said, you know, we're basically what we're outlining is reasons why the Canucks might not feel a sense of urgency at this trade deadline. What have we heard repeatedly from Patrick Alvine and Jim Rutherford? Them saying, hey, we don't really feel a sense of urgency at this trade deadline. They've made that point uh, 
both of them many times over in public. So I and I think there's a reason for that. I think there's a reason they do not feel that sense of urgency. Lots of great texts coming in, uh, including some about the Canucks' newest signing. We'll tell you all about that. A new member of the Canucks organization uh, from right here in the Lower Mainland. We'll talk about that. Look ahead more to the Canucks matchup against the Washington Capitals as well. You're listening to the Canucks Hour on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Hour on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance here with you. Final half hour of the show for the week ahead of another Canucks game day. 7 o'clock here at Rogers Arena against the Washington Capitals. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. Uh, before we get into some of the other topics, I wanted to hit this quickly. This unsigned text came in, and 650-650, get your thoughts in as well. Uh, unsigned text says, Hi, Thomas and Jamie. Do you have anything to say about the Pride game part of tonight? Will that add to the vibes at Rogers Arena? And I did just want to give uh, take a moment to give a shout-out to the fact that it is Pride night for the Canucks at Rogers Arena. So maybe that does add a little bit of extra energy uh, to the atmosphere. But I really, what I really wanted to highlight, and the Canucks have been absolutely crushing this all year long now, is the, the special warm-up jerseys that they wear for these different events. We've seen it with Diwali, with Lunar New Year. Uh, Black History Month as well, among others. And I think this one for Pride Night is just absolutely stunning. If you haven't seen it, you can go check it out on the Canucks Twitter. Uh, designed by Swedish artist uh, Hermine Mio Lindsay. Excuse me if I'm getting any part of the pronunciation there wrong. You can follow her on Twitter, on Twitter at Flyers Witch. It's a, a rainbow version of the Canucks Orca logo with a whole bunch of extra detail added in there as well. And I think it just looks fantastic. So I'm really, really excited uh, to see those on the ice in warm up They're so tonight. Cool. And and all the gear is really cool too. If you go to Van Base, I don't usually uh, plug <laughs> things like that, but No, those ones are stunning though. They're and just the Vancouver cool. touches and and the, and the the like orcas circling. That orca circling logo, it's just a little uh it's just a little rainbow logo on the chest uh, on a white shirt. Um you know, I don't wear logos, but if I did, that would be 100% in my uh in my shopping cart. That would be the one. Yeah, that would and, be the one, look, no doubt about it. Definitely, it's going to add to the add to the vibes. The, the Canucks have done a great job with those warm up jerseys, and I wish that they weren't just like on practice jerseys. You know, like I do think the sweater, the logo quality that the Canucks have brought is through the roof. But I do think finding a way and working with the NHL's uniform partners to make them look more official, right, um, is sort of the next evolution of that. And ultimately, too, like I don't see why you wouldn't play in them. You know, like I don't see why you wouldn't play in those jerseys here and there. Um, I think it'd be cool. I don't know, I don't know why why the league hasn't done more of that. I think it would be great, and I know that the Canucks are very protective of having a signature look in big moments. Like there's this there's this understanding of the history of of stuff, right? So it's like if you if someone scores a big goal, or or for example tonight, right? If Ovechkin sets a record or whatever, the the organization likes to have their their primary look. In, in those moments, in those moments, for you know, posterity, but uh, but I do think there's certainly games over the course of a regular season where we're wearing cool jerseys, Pride Night jerseys, Diwali jerseys. Like, how cool would it be to have a picture of a of a JT Miller fist bump yeah. in a Diwali sweater? Like, yeah, that would be awesome. 
That would be great. It would I'd be love great. To, I'd love to see it done more. And uh, honestly, I'd just love to see more uniform variety in general, particularly because the Canucks have such a rich palette to, to, sure to draw on. Do. They yeah. sure do. I do think there's always the debate about, you know, should they go back to the skate? What, what should their colors be? I do almost think they're kind of at the point where they should just lean into the, we're the team that has tons of different weird jerseys and we just totally. roll through them. You know, like it, it, people always say, oh, no, they have to stick to one to build that brand. Just just make your brand. We have lots of jerseys. That, that, that's always kind of yeah. intrigued me uh, as an option. Um so yeah, those I'm really excited to see those on the ice, and it's a good uh, good point by the texture as well to mention that it will be Pride Night at Rogers Arena. Another big piece of Canucks news, uh, or a really interesting piece at the very least of Canucks news that came down today, is that the team has made really the first personnel addition, certainly, of the Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine era, the first player personnel addition, and they have signed uh, Surrey BC's very own Arshdeep Baines out of the WHL from the Red Deer Rebels uh, to a contract. He has joined the uh, the organization. Uh, Baines leads the WHL in scoring this year, playing for uh, Brent Sutter and the Red Deer Rebels. He was, as we understand, pretty sought, o- sought after as an overage free agent from the CHL around the NHL. Our own Randy Janda reporting that plenty of other teams were interested in signing him. And at the very, very least, first of all, this is just a really cool story and a really cool moment for Archdeep Baines, right, who gets to sign, you know, obviously undrafted, cool. gets to sign a contract with his hometown team. And, you know, not not only is it his hometown NHL team, but depending on how his path through professional hockey takes him, he'll get a chance probably to play uh, with the Abbotsford Canucks, which is also right, right by where he grew up. So that's really cool. And just kind of a, another interesting layer of – bringing the AHL team to Abbotsford. Right? Totally, yeah. Well, and so, and, and an amazing rise for Archdeep, right? When you consider that in his first draft-eligible season, he wasn't, he didn't begin that season in the WHL, right? He he, be, he began it with the Valley West Hawks U18 AAA, um, you know, did okay, 56 points in 22 games. All right, that'll that'll get some notice. Turn some heads, yeah. Worked his way up, worked his way up, has been a point-per-game guy the last two years, going to be a 100-point WHL player, and now he's given himself a chance to start his professional career on an NHL contract, which, by the way, not easy, right? Nope. A full NHL, like, that's a full entry-level contract. That's That speaks volumes. And, you know, this is the sort of, this is the sort of start to a career that can – end up going places, right? You think about Brad Hunt, right? Brad Hunt's played really well for the Canucks over the course of the past 15 games. Like, he's been excellent depth for this team, and he's had a lengthy NHL career. Well, he got his start on an AHL contract with the Chicago Wolves, who were then the Canucks affiliate, right? Eventually works his way up, gets a gets an entry-level deal with Edmonton. Eventually he gets his shot. Eventually it proves, hey, this is a great guy to have around, and he can run a power play when some of our guys are hurt. And now teams have real trouble getting him out of the lineup once he's in, right? I mean, that's that's how you go about improbably carving out a career. And for an organization, if you can be developing guys like that on a regular basis, I mean, that can raise your floor appreciably, right? That helps you win games when guys go down with injury. Now, Archdeep is 21, and, and for context, right, he's the same age as Pod Colson and Hoaglander. Yes. So there is a long path ahead of him. This is not, um, you know... A guy who's a slam dunk NHL prospect or likely to show up on a top 10 prospect list, but he's at the start of something. And as we've seen throughout the years, right, this organization over the course of the past decade, for example, had Antoine Roussel on an AHL contract that they didn't convert 
Well, a few years later, they signed him to big money. They had Yan Gord. Yan Gord was a training camp cut of the Utica Comets. Well, he's pretty good. He's a pretty good player. So, I mean, guys can, like this Canucks team, defy the odds. And Arshdeep today is sort of the beginning of his NHL story, but it's not the beginning of a, of a story of incredible resilience, right? Um, you know, not even being in the dub uh, in his draft year to getting an entry-level deal from the Canucks five years later, I, I mean, or four years later. Pretty incredible stuff. Good luck to him. Yeah. And I know he'll be joining the People Show. I'll, I'll be fascinated to hear more about that journey on my drive home. Yeah, Arshdie Baines will be on, uh, as you said, the People Show with Thick Nazar and Randy Janda at 2. So that make sure you tune in for that. It's going to be really interesting to hear from the newest member of the Canucks organization. And as you said, important to note, this is a full NHL entry-level deal, right? Because there are, you know, I know on the Abbotsford Canucks, they sound Chase Wooters, uh, yeah, uh, Tristan, Tristan Nielsen. Nielsen, Alex Connick-Leipert, former yeah. Vancouver Giants. But those are AHL deals. And those guys have played really well, by the way. Yeah. Canick Leipert in particular could be a, could be a convert. I think I would expect Chase Wooters to be converted at some point. And again, you know, uh, like I remember, I remember when I was working with the Florida Panthers uh, and uh, and Chris Drieger. We converted Chris Drieger to a and and I remember it, there was this such excitement in the organization about it. They were like, "We got to put a press release for this." And I had like barely heard of the guy. Right? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> uh, "Okay." Um, but you know, it, it's pretty like it is incredible. Teams only have fifty contract slots, yep. right? To use one, to use one on a player signifies real value, real optimism. Um, hard earned by Archdeep, but well earned. And congratulations to him and the family. And yeah, absolutely, there's going to be a ton of people. This is going to be one that that fans pay a lot of attention to, and that fans are going to be in his corner from day one. The other interesting thing, of course, is I think what have we heard possibly more than anything else in public from Patrick Alvine and Jim Rutherford since they came to the Vancouver Canucks? If I had to guess, it might be we need to build the depth of this organization, and one way we are going to do that is by signing free agents. Now, commonly it's been NCAA free agents, European free agents, but you can add CHL undrafted free agents to the mix as well. So this is the first step in that process, and... Look, the nature of those kinds of bets is that obviously not all of them are going to pan out in the way you hope. Not all of them are going to reach the best case scenario, but it's a volume play. And and I would expect to see more of these types of moves, right, of trying to find those diamonds in the rough that, you know, who knows? I'm not going to sit here and pretend to give you a breakdown on, you know, Arshdeep Bain's skill set and what he's shown in the WHL. But if at some point he becomes a, a dependable bottom six contributor, for the Vancouver Canucks down the road, that's an incredible win. An incredible win, and it's found money. And they're going to take a whole bunch of more bets, hoping that one or two of them pan out down the road. Well, like you know, I, I appreciate the transparency of, like, I can't give you the detailed scouting no, report. No, I'm, not, uh, but, I'm but, not Cam Robinson here. But here's what here's what, here's what a here's a trick for you. Ready? Yeah. For a, for a young player who's just signed their contract, needs to get a little faster, needs to work <laughs> on the skating. Needs to get a little stronger. Needs to get a little stronger. You're never wrong. <laughs> You're never wrong when you say those things. Needs to learn some of the details of the pro game. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a sharp adjustment. He's a project, but there might be something in there, right? That I mean, you can do it. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Oh man, I'm gonna I'm gonna parlay that into a career as a, an NHL draft uh, guru here. Coming just up. my advice on parlays: don't include <laughs> a bet against a Bruce Boudreau team against them, right? No. Well, I, you know, it's pretty incredible, right? Like, I, I honestly can't get over it. I think I'm trying to figure out. I'm trying to figure out where I've sort of missed like where is my feel gone for this team because I felt like I had such a good feel for this Pacific division 
and for this Canucks team at the start of the year. And then Boudreau takes over, and without a massive bump in their underlying numbers, like, they've just continued to defy my expectations and the underlying data all along the way. And so I, I think I've reached a point where I'm just going to throw my hands up and just be like, <laughs> Boudreau just makes the playoffs. Guy's a magnet for it, right? Everywhere he's ever been, they just win they in the make, regular season. They win. He's, he's a magnet for making the playoffs. So uh, pretty incredible, pretty incredible stuff. And, yeah, as you parlay anything, don't include don't, a don't bet. bet don't in, don't include Boudreau. a bet against Boudreau. It's, uh, it's gone poorly for me anyway. His winning percentage career, as you pointed out, is just He's outrageous. a magic. He it's makes the playoffs. Like all he, he does. It's like, it's like he's a 940 goaltender. He just makes the playoffs. Like, it's wild. And honestly, honestly, it, I, I defy anyone to explain it to me because it's incredible. The other – just not to uh, you know do a deep dive on what you've got wrong about this. No, I, no, no, no. But I'm not. I, I will just say if we're if we're trying to kind of piece together beyond the coaching change, what has changed from first half or r- roughly whatever, what first 25 games, whatever it was, to now, I do think not that we necessarily underrated it because but because we talked about it a lot. But the difference in production and performance from Elias Pettersson. And the difference that makes for the team, I don't think can be overstated, right? Going from the version we saw in the first couple of months to the version we've seen in the last couple of months, that's a huge difference. Health is a big part of that story, right? But another big part of that story is that on the day that they fired Travis Green and Jim Benning, both Brock Besser and Elias Pettersson were sub 4% on ice shooting. Well, guess what? They're not not anymore. Two of the top 20 goal scorers in hockey in terms of just like raw mechanics, they're going to score goals. Like, that's, that's not going to last. Uh, that's a huge part of the story, too, is, is the team's offensive progression. And, and look, that's a huge thing to watch for, too, right? Um, you want to understand why the Canucks have been scoring so many goals? Well, they're shooting, they're converting on the highest rate of shots in the NHL since January 1st, or sorry, February 1st. So uh, that's not going to continue, right? This, this is still not, the aggressiveness on the forecheck aside, this is still not a high-end offensive team, Right. Uh, the record under Bruce Boudreaux's side. This is still not an elite team. But can they perform like an elite team for another 24 games, right? Can they get some combination of, of enough finishing and enough saves uh, that this sort of – that they can ride this way? Well, I mean, that- that's, now, that's now the question. And, and now, too, on a micro level, right, we've got six games on this homestand remaining. All of them will be in the books by the time the Canucks hit the trade deadline. Can they? How difficult do they make Jim Rutherford's decision here? How how difficult do they make? Like that's a huge subplot on this homestand. Everyone's focused on the playoff race. They should be. That's that's you know why we do this. But a big a big dynamic to be mindful of too is how uncomfortable can they make uh, any decisions that Jim Rutherford might prefer to make for the long term over the course of the next 10 days. And I do want to pick up on just that kind of trade deadline philosophy direction question a little bit here. You mentioned it late in the last segment. Our uh, our colleague at Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto, Nick Kiprios, of course, former NHL player as well, longtime NHL analyst, uh, tweeted out just before we came on the air, Jim Rutherford's focus going into the last week of trade deadline is to offload a big Canucks contract with term with the unlikely scenario of trading Miller, Tyler Myers' name, is now added to a list of NHL D-man available. Uh, and Kipper also notes that his uh, AAV is $6 million a year for two more years. 
after this one. Now, when we have talked a lot about, okay, the Canucks' number one priority and their number one need is salary cap flexibility, and that leads you down the road of potentially trading JT Miller, potentially trading Brock Besser, we get the text a lot. Well, what about Myers? What about Pearson? What about Dickinson? Right? And I think our response, and pretty fairly, has been those contracts are going to be tough, if not impossible, to move without including a sweetener, which, because of the Canucks' prospect situation, because of their draft pick situation, is obviously not necessarily an appetizing thing to consider uh, for Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin. With Tyler Myers, is it more? Is that contract more movable than perhaps we have given it credit and a lot of fans have given it credit for being? And one other thing, in addition to the Kipper What, what report, do you mean by movable, though? Movable is in without attaching significant sweeteners. Oh, yeah. But the, the that's not the that's not the for me that's not the the litmus test. The litmus test is can you deal it for value without taking money back? And there's no way. So that's what I would mean then. Clearing the cap space in a yeah, significant I, way. I mean I think I think there's enough value there that it's probably not at negative value at this juncture. But I think that probably wasn't true twelve months ago. Because again, as we say, trade value goes up as yes. term diminishes, right? So now you're looking at two more years. He's played really well in a top pair role. There's teams that always will have um, a, a liking for a six foot seven um, right-handed defenseman who's playing a ton of minutes and has real utility as a secondary puck mover. And moreover, moreover, has a reputation around the league as a as a you know consummate professional, a good person, right? I mean, that's who Tyler Myers is. That gives him some value I think in but it's in a hockey trade and it's for minimal return right like that's the that's the key you can you can move Tyler Myers out I think if so long as your expectations are low and so long as you're willing to eat money coming back the question so, so that's not a lot of trade value but it's not no trade value the question becomes for me how much total salary are you clearing right whether it's by whether it's by retaining salary in a Myers deal or taking some money back. That, that's the big question for me. And this and this is, I think, an interesting part of the discussion because uh, Marty the Red texts in, with Ristolainen's new contract, would you rather have that or Myers for another two years? Oh, Myers, and for Clay, sure. Of course. But my, I'd rather have Myers in a vacuum. Yeah, and Clayton like, texts in. Myers uh, is a better player. Clayton texts in. Maybe Chuck Fletcher wants him, LOL, as well. <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, that's probably off the well, board with the Ristolainen new well, contract. So. I mean, for example, though, one way to deal with shedding salary, right, is the Arizona Coyote, the, the reverse OEL deal. Let's call it the reverse OEL deal, which is where you take bad shorter-term money yes. back in, in exchange for worse longer-term money or, or at least more useful longer-term money. Yeah. Um, you know, if the if the Philadelphia Flyers really want to build just like a hulking right side – and you know, there, there's guys like JVR, for JVR example, has two two years, seven million. So you'd shed a year worth. I, I would be reluctant to do that though, because again, Tyler Myers for me becomes a guy with real trade value in the last year of his contract, and I don't see why you wouldn't try to realize that. Like you're only talking about one more season. You go through one more season with a guy who's played huge minutes for you and been totally effective in in a top four role for you during his stint here is extremely well-liked, deals with the media, deals with the market extremely well. I mean, what's the, what's the, what's the benefit of moving off? Now, I see the benefit of moving off Myers in like a true cap-clearing deal. If you're trading him for a one-year contract that expires at the end of the season, or if you're doing a deal for a guy like, 
you know, who's got maybe this year and next, but it's at like three or four million. Yeah. So you're still netting two million in savings plus ducking an additional six million dollar liability down the line. But for me, at this point, and this particularly because I don't think the Canucks are a contender next season, I don't see why you wouldn't just allow Myers's next two years to lapse and then figure it out once you've paid his signing bonus and he'll have real value and and fewer trade protections. Like that that to me. The, the rush to move Myers, like unless it's a no-doubter cap-clearing deal or the return is significant, which I'm highly skeptical of on both fronts, I just think you keep it. Well, and the other thing is I think even going into the deadline next year that, that, that there's potential value and potential interest there, right? Because then mm. you're in that class of kind of, okay, one playoff run and then one more year uh, with this guy who's a you know top-four defenseman, right-handed, big guy in this league, all, all things that teams are uh, commonly interested in. And earlier in the show, uh, Raphael Fretch made this point uh, on Twitter, said playing well in the playoff chase and possibly in the playoffs may also increase the trade value of some Canucks in the offseason. And Tyler Myers is the kind of quintessential example of that to me, oh. right? Where if they get into the playoffs and he has a real, even if they lose, but he looks good in the first round, you know there's going to be GMs around there saying, that's the kind of guy I need in the playoffs. Well, you better hope for Calgary then. <laughs> if your plan is contingent on the Canucks looking good in the first round, you better hope they don't face Colorado. Well, they're not going to if if it's the Pacific Division, right? They're going to face probably the LA Kings. That's right. If, sorry, if they're point. third. If sure. they're third. Yeah. And yeah. the Kings the Kings are an interesting matchup for the Canucks. Not a good one, I think, because the Kings have that, that back end that can move, um, you know, like like uh, like people at the club on a on a Saturday night. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> but the, settle down there. <laughs> but the uh, the you know the the fact is like if you if you sneak in and and or end up in a wild card spot and see the Flames, I mean, I think that's a I don't think that's a terrible matchup for Vancouver. Well, and that's and that's sort of that speaks to to the level that this team has risen to. Yes. Where I'm like, hey, the Washington Capitals. You know, I don't think that's a good. I don't think they're. I think that's a good matchup for Vancouver. I think Vancouver can give them trouble with their forecheck. They're a big, heavy team. They might not be fast enough to get in behind and punish this defense. Like that is, you know, <laughs> that that's that's the level that this team is at now, which I think is pretty impressive. Right? We're no longer talking about a doormat. We're talking about a team that can give certain clubs, even certain really good clubs, even certain contending clubs, some trouble. trouble. Yeah. And that's a massive, massive departure from where we were two, three months ago. We will see how it plays out tonight at Rogers Arena against the Capitals. Reminder, uh, the People Show is up next. Arshdeep Baines, the newest member of the Canucks organization, will join it too. And uh, Abbotsford Canucks general manager Ryan Johnson will be on the show as part of the Abbey Report at 2.30. So make sure you stay tuned to that. Thanks for listening. We'll be back on Monday. Enjoy the games this weekend. It's the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.